I'm going to tell you a story about a horse. This, this horse's name was uh, a fleet Alex. It's a real, it's a real horse. This, this isn't a made-up story. But it, uh, there was there was a quarter mile left to go at the uh, 2000 running of the uh, the horse race called the Preakness. And a fleet Alex had battled his way to the front of the pack when when another horse cut in front of him, and uh, their their heels clipped each other. And uh, a fleet Alex stumbled. His his knees buckled. His nose nearly went into the dirt. And his jockey, Jeremy Rose, hung on. He said, this is the closest I've ever been without falling. I thought for sure we were going down, Rose said. The thought process was, I was going to get run over. And luckily, he came right back up underneath me. A fleet Alex not only recovered, but he went on to win the race by five lengths. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about us, us running a race. Uh, the Christian life, running a race, and uh, you know, in in this race, uh, we all stumble, and uh, yet if if we hold on, you know, the Lord will provide us uh, sure footing and balance so that that we won't fall. And as we go through this story in Ezra, we we see where God's people stumbled. You know, last time, because of the opposition. What happened? You know, this this building project, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding Jerusalem. They got off to a to a great start, but because of the opposition, they lost heart and and they quit. And uh, at the end of Ezra chapter four, we we saw the people of God. Uh, you know, they were back in the homeland. They they reestablish worship they they built the altar they laid the foundation of the temple things are going well they stumbled and uh, as as we approach chapter 5 you know the work has just come to a to a complete standstill uh, Ezra 5 is where we're at this morning but uh, you know after the opposition that brought the work to a standstill the uh, the people became complacent the, the work had stopped. The, uh, the people of Judah had uh, placed their priorities in other places elsewhere. They, they shifted their, their effort from building the temple of God to just working on their own houses, their own lives, you know, just caring for, for their, own, uh, their own endeavors, commercial endeavors. The uh, the leadership had become unmotivated, and yeah, you know, they might have even questioned, you know, did did God really tell us to do this, rebuild rebuild the temple? You know, did why, why did God allow this to happen? Why did He allow this opposition to to come and instill fear and um, complacency? But you know, God will complete what He starts. And we see this. God was not through with them yet. And he, he raised up two prophets, uh, Haggai and Zechariah. And uh, God used these, these two prophets to issue his people a, a wake-up call. Let's, let's turn to uh, Ezra chapter 5, if you're not there yet. Starting in verse 1, read with me. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the sons of Ido, or the, Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews who were in, the, in Jeru- Judah and Jerusalem, 
in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that was in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozenai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish the structure? They also asked them, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Well, this is the copy of the letter that was sent to King Darius or from, from Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozenai and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report which was written as follows, to Darius the king, all peace. And let me just insert here, this is a different king now. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, and it was being built with huge stones and timber as laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you this decree to build this house and to finish the structure? We also asked their names for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of God, the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which the great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven who gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people of Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God shall be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon. These Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to them, take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that's in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not yet finished. Therefore, it seems good to the king. Let search be made in the royal archives that are in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus, the king of the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So, the work had stopped. The adversaries had convinced King Artaxerxes that the Jews had begun the work of this uh, rebuilding of the temple illegally. Uh, But God had a plan. God's plan was going to uh, uh, prevail. And he spoke to the people through these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and the message was, a call to obedience. It was a call to uh, restart what God had given them to do. 
the uh, really the message from from this this chapter is is fairly simple. Uh, we need to order our priorities, hearing from God and and putting first things first. So let's let's unpack this. You know, it's easy for us to uh, let God's work be pushed to the uh, the margins of our lives. Very easy for us to uh, to get busy and. You know the people here were they were doing the things that that needed to be done. They all had their own lives. They all had their own families and houses and and uh, uh, businesses and and farms and and so forth. These were these are good things, but in order for us to uh, order our priorities, we see from this chapter that we need to hear from God. We need to uh, hear his instruction. We need to be obedient to the voice of God. So the work of the temple had stopped for, for a number of years. Uh, you know, the, the opposition discussed in chapter 4 spans the reign of not one, but uh, several uh, leaders, several Persian rulers. The Bible mentions Cyrus, Darius, uh, Artaxerxes. People had given up. They'd succumbed to the opposition of the enemy. The, uh, the, ad, the, the adversary had worn them down to the point of discouragement and, and fear. Through misinformation, through accusations, the enemy had convinced the king of Persia to order that the work would cease. And the people folded. Now, the longer the... The longer the work had lain dormant, uh, the, the, I think the weaker the drive of the people to do God's will and obey God became. You know, con- conviction was conviction was replaced by complacency. Passion was replaced by passivity. You know, there there was no longer a, a sense of urgency in in the minds and hearts of the people to to rebuild the temple, and the people had resigned themselves to a defeat. You know, perhaps they forgot how miraculous it was that God had brought them back the way He did. You know, God had stirred the heart of the king of Persia, Cyrus, he said, you go back and build that temple and I'm going to supply the uh, needs. I'm going to, here are the materials. Here here are the the valuable vessels of gold and silver. And, you know, those are, we we kept them and you're going to take those back with you and put them in the temple. He provided the resources. Um, You know, at the time, I doubt if people had any doubts at all about whether this was God's will. But this good start, running into opposition, uh, fierce opposition, caused them to, to give up. God didn't give up, though. The people needed to hear from him. We need to hear from God. God had stirred their hearts to return and, and do this work, and they needed now a, a fresh stirring. And he gave it to them through these two prophets, it says, now the prophets Haggai, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in, Judah, in Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Now, in the book of Ezra, it doesn't really, 
give what they said, these prophets, but praise God, we've got another couple books in the Old Testament that tell us exactly what these guys said. God raised up these men to, to speak to the people. They, it says they, they prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. They spoke by the authority of God, this, this God who was over them, the, the God who had made a covenant with them, the God of Hesed, that covenant love, that loyal love that God has for his people. They, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't um, just give up and get up in front of the people and give them a, a pep talk. You know, you can do it. They didn't get up like this to try to rouse the, the people to action. They spoke from God. And what God had to say was pretty no-nonsense. So we, we have a record of what these prophets say. I'd like to read the first few verses, the first several verses of the book of Haggai. It says, in the, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, and the, or the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not come yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of God, says, says the Lord of hosts, excuse me, consider your ways. You've, you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up into the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Now, what do we see here? We see God withholding his hand a blessing. Not just out of capriciousness, but to get their attention. You know, they, they need to hear his voice. They need to hear from the Lord God and, and obey. You know, this, this is a recurring theme in the Bible, isn't it? Remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness, Psalm 95, 7 through 11 addresses this. Psalm 95, 7 through 11 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who have gone astray in their heart. 
and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God's serious here. He wants his people to listen up and obey. God God here in in Haggai and in uh, the book of Ezra and in, in Zechariah, he talks to the people about their priorities. You know, what is important? What do we value the most? You know, we need to put first things first. The main things need to be the main things. I've heard it said that uh, the, the good is the enemy of the best. You know, there are variations on this quote, but you know, the principle is we can spend much of our, our resources, our, our time, our money, our effort on, on things that are good, but at the same time neglect the things that are best or, or better. Remember the story of Mary and Martha. Remember uh, Martha was, was hurrying around, tidying things up, making sure that the, uh, the casserole was just right. And all these things, you know, just hurrying around, doing, doing the work of serving. Well, that's good, isn't it? Serving. You know, if Jesus were to walk into our house, I, I think we would, uh, we would want to make sure everything is <laughs> perfect, right? So she was doing something good. We can't fault her for that, you know. But, uh, you know, the problem was that it distracted her from Jesus. And Jesus said... You know, Mary has, has done the, the more important thing. You know, what, what did she do? She was sitting at the feet of the Lord and learning from him. God wants us to have intimacy with, with him. You know, part of, part of the human condition, the, the sinful condition we're in, I think, is that we, we do like to put ourselves first. We like to uh, place the highest priority on our own needs. And I'm no different. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and this is, this is referring to how we treat other people, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Well, how about God's interests? You know, I, I do believe that many times we put our own interests above God's interests. We do our own work rather than God's work. So the people are putting their own needs first. Uh, you know, they'd probably argue that they're doing a good thing. They're, they're taking care of their families. We need to take care of our families. But first things first. The main things have to be the main things. John Piper writes about this. He says that the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of this world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, or even a wife. 
The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not from the poison of evil, but the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Jesus said some people hear the word of God and a desire for God is awakened in their hearts, but as they go on their way, they choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. Uh, that's in Luke 18, or 8, 14, excuse me. Another place he said the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes, in, it becomes unfruitful, Mark 4, 19. The pleasures of this life, the desires for other things, these are not evil in themselves, he says. These are not vices, but they're gifts from God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. You know, God was speaking through Haggai, but he also spoke through uh, Zechariah. He appeals to them, the pe- his people in Zechariah 1, 3 through 4, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds that they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Return to me, and I will return to you. James says, if we draw close to God, he will draw close to us. God is is saying through the prophet Zechariah, you know, I've, I've said this before. I use these same words for those who came before you, but they would not listen. And this is what got them exiled in the first place. And now his people were doing the same thing. They were heading in that same direction once again. He's he's saying, don't be like them. Return to me. I want to be close to you. Don't, Don't push me away. So, you know, God was in certain ways withholding his his blessings from the people, trying to get their attention. He's you know, he's saying, come on, guys, think about it. Con- consider your ways. Look at what's going on. Look at the evidence. He says, you've, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you don't, you don't have enough. You, you drink, but your thirst isn't quenched. You, you, wear, you put on clothing, but it, your clothing doesn't keep you warm. You, you earn money and you, you put them in your pockets which are full of holes. You looked for much and became, behold, it came to little. Why? Because, he says, because my house lies in ruins. He says, I brought, I brought you all here for a, a reason. It's to, it's to build this house. And you're neglecting it. Therefore, uh, he says, I've called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil, etc. 
Does, does this remind you of a passage in Second uh, Chronicles 7, 13 and 14? Where God tells Solomon as he's dedicating the original temple. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And you get the idea God's doing just that to these people in, in the book of Ezra, right? When I do that, he says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sin, then I'll hear from them. I'll hear from heaven. I'll hear them. And I'll restore them. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive their sin and I'll, I'll, hear, I'll heal their land. So, uh, you know, we need to ask the question whenever... You know, so, sometimes it, when we're we're going through a narrative, we we read about stories, we read about people, and you know, it's easy for us sometimes to say, "Yeah, the, they they really needed to listen to God." But you know, how does this apply to us? You know, the the question we always need to ask is, "So what? What do I do with this? How do I how do I use this in in my life? How does this affect me?" Well, we need to listen to God. We need to hear from him. We need to uh, take inspiration from his word. Uh, we Really, we need a fresh encounter with his word. Uh, we need, and, and, and as we look into his word, we, we have a, a fresh encounter with him. Second John 9 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Have you noticed that when you neglect God's word, you, you tend to drift away from God? Do you remember, and we, we talked about this in, in the introduction of the book of Ezra about King Josiah. How the, God's word got lost in the temple. They, they discovered these scrolls and didn't even know what they were. There was idolatry going on in the temple. There was prostitution being practiced in the temple. And Josiah said, let's, let's check out these scrolls and see what they are, you know. And, and there, there was great repentance and great revival as people got back into God's word and called out to him and turned to him. All that stuff was cleared out of, of the temple. Josiah restored the Passover. There was, there was great revival. Now, I know that whenever I've personally experienced revival, it's always been in conjunction with uh, having a revival of my interest in God's word. I've, I've always, uh, when I've gotten back into God's word, experienced a, a fresh hunger for God. And, and for the word that, that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired. So, how does this apply to us? Does, does God have work for us to do? Have, have we succumbed to opposition? You know, have, have we given in to in discouragement in any way? You know, we, we need to look into God's word and see his will. We need to hear his voice 
Luke eleven twenty six says, Blessed are they who hear God's word and, and keep it. We need to order our priorities. Yeah, I spent years working in different environments, military, education, business, and, and uh, Christian ministry. And I've, I've observed all sorts of people. I've seen people in every case, though, living according to uh, their priorities that they've set, whether consciously or not. And the results always reflect those, those priorities. I've, I've known people whose highest priority was, was pleasure-seeking, and, and it ruined them. It ruined their lives. It ruined their health. It ruined their marriages, their families. I've known people whose highest priorities was there's, is their success. People who've put the acquisition of power and control and, and financial security above all else, above all else, and uh, these things don't work. <laughs> you know, they, they don't end well. What did Jesus say? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Can we say the same thing? Can we say that? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. You know, is is doing God's will what sustains us? You know, do we do we put God first? Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through twenty one, do not lay up treasures in heaven. Excuse me, that's not what he said. He said, Do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He also said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, he, he cares about our little things. He cares about our daily lives and our daily needs. But our highest priority needs to be to seek his kingdom, to seek him, to hunger for him, to get our sustainment from doing his will. Notice that the people did this. They, they stepped out on faith. They listened and they obeyed. It says the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. So, you know, God had withdrawn his blessing, but God saw, God sees. He knows our struggles. He knows and understands what we're going through. There there are so many things that compete for our, our resources, you know, especially our time, it seems, I think. You know, here's here's the thing. We all tend to do the things that we consider to be important, don't we? We find time to do the things that we want to do. You know, could it be that some of the things that occupy so much of our time could be given a, a lower priority? God's been faithful to us. Uh, I love Romans eight thirty eight through thirty nine. It says, "In all all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present things nor things to come nor powers nor height nor debt nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is a God of promise. His love is steadfast. He's not going to give up on us. And uh, we must not give up on him. So let's, let's let God speak into our lives. Let's, let's let him give us a, a new vision as a church. Let's let, us, let's let him give us a new vision for us individually as husbands and wives and parents and, and workers and whatever role we're in. You know, maybe maybe things in the past have bogged us down spiritually, but we need to let these things go and reorder our priorities and and get about our father's business. You know, let's let's seek his wisdom in, in balancing our lives. It's it's a tough thing to do. You know, our families are important. We need to nurture our marriages. We need to raise up godly children. Godly men and women is what we want to see running around here in 10 years, 20 years. Our, our jobs are important, and, and God would have us do all things with, with excellence. But let's also look at what God's commanding us to do. Let's get with God's building program. You know, he, he wants to build our lives he wants to transform us. He wants to conform us to the uh, image of Christ. He, he wants us to engage in the building process of, of being godly parents who set good examples for our, our children. He wants to rebuild our church. He, he wants willing hearts. He wants willing hands. You know, the, the people who returned from exile did because they responded to God's stirring. They, they began to work. They were overcome by opposition and they gave up, but God didn't. He's, he's faithful again. He's faithful to complete what he has begun. So how is God's building project going in your life? What would, what would God have you to do? Is, is there something in your life that, that needs attention? You know, does, does he need to build your prayer life? Does God need to build your life in the, in the study of his word? Are these areas that, that you've neglected and let go by the wayside? You know, is, is there any area in, in your life that needs to be surrendered to him? Things to think about. Let's pray. Uh, our Lord and our God, um, speak to us, Lord. We, we need to hear from you. Thank you for caring for us. And uh, we just praise you that, that when we do stumble, you, you, you pick us up. Uh, we, we thank you, Lord, for your, your loving kindness towards us. Uh, your, your love towards us is so great. So much that even when... We were still enemies. You, you loved us and sent your son to die on the cross for us so that if we believe in him and receive him as our savior, we are adopted into your family, that we have eternal life. Um, 
Lord, we want to hear from you. Give us, uh, give us ears to hear. Give us responsive hearts. To draw us, Lord, close to you, as as we draw close, draw cl- draw close to us. Uh, Lord, we want you to be glorified in our lives, in our families, in our church, in every other area of our life, Lord. Be glorified. For Christ's sake, amen.